Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a privilege to be with you this morning uh, to worship with you in song and to turn our heart's attention uh, to God's Word now uh, as we turn to Acts chapter 11. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Acts 11. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's one uh, in the pew rack right in front of you. Uh, so I'd invite you to grab one of those and, and flip to Acts chapter 11 as we continue through our study of the book uh, of Acts and uh, really to, to pick up <clears throat> on the tail end of a narrative that we've been studying for about the past uh, two or three weeks now uh, that began back in Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> but before we do that, uh, I want to take one moment uh, just to stop and to pray. Uh, we have lots to pray for. Um, Brother Richard is here with us this morning, uh, but he's been ill, as most of you have heard. Uh, but he is on the mend, and the Lord has been gracious uh, to us and to him, and um, we're glad that he's here this morning, so we need to continue to pray for him and his healing. And also, most of you have probably heard, we need to pray for Miss Jean Adams this morning. Uh, Miss Jean uh, received some uh, pretty devastating news from the doctor that she has cancer, uh, and the, the outlook is not good. Uh, but uh, she wrote us a letter this week and uh, wants you to know that she loves you guys, uh, that she's praying for you, that her faith in Christ is strong. And so let's pray for Miss Jean this morning. Before we turn to God's word, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with grateful and thankful hearts that you have, by your mercy, sent us your son Jesus to live, to die, and to be risen again for us. So Lord, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that by your spirit that you would humble our hearts that you would soften our hearts and that you would open our eyes and our ears so that we may know and see and hear you this morning from your word. Father, we want to lift up to you, Pastor Richard. We are so thankful, Father, that, uh, that you are, uh, have made him feel better. Lord, we're thankful that he's here this morning. Lord, we pray as you uh, continue to work in his body and in his life, Father, that you would uh, continue to heal him. Father, that you would continue to take away this pain from <clears throat> whatever it is that's been going on inside. And Lord, uh, we are thankful, Father, that he's here with us this morning and that, that he is upright and well. Lord, we pray for you to uh, continue to heal him. Lord, we want to lift up to you uh, Miss Jean Adams this morning. <clears throat> Lord, as we were reminded from your scripture not so long ago that oftentimes you are glorified in our healing, but Father, most of the time you choose to glorify yourself through our suffering. And so, Father, we lift up Miss Jean to you this morning. We ask for your blessing on uh, however many days that you uh, have left for her or for any of us, Father. We pray uh, that you would continue, Father, to lift her spirits. Father, continue to work in her life. Uh, and, Father, we pray that uh, for her and for all of us, Father, as none of us know how many days that we have left, Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to persevere to the end to finish the race well. Father, to never lose hope. Father, that we have ultimate hope in you. That, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even death, Father. No, no angel, no demon, uh, no power on heaven or in hell, Father, can separate us for your love, through, of your loving for us in Christ Jesus. And Father, uh, we pray this morning that, uh, that you would uh, help us as we turn to your word now, that you would help us as we um, 
as we study this passage in the book of Acts. Lord, I pray that it would affect our hearts and that it would affect uh, our minds. And Father, that it would cause us to worship and to praise you and to know you better. Father, we pray as the scripture prays. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 11 this morning. Uh, As I mentioned before, this is really the tail end of a narrative that we've been studying since Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, And so before we jump into our text, just I want to take a moment to remind us of what has taken place in, in this particular narrative, in this particular story so far, so that hopefully we can have a little bit of context to understand what it is that Luke is trying to communicate to us Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit in chapter 11, in the retelling uh, for the third time uh, of the same story. So if you remember back in Acts chapter 10, we were introduced to this man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a God-fearing man who was generous, who was gracious, and who the Scripture describes as a man who prayed continuously. We see that Cornelius uh, has this vision, an angel of the Lord comes and appears to Cornelius and tells him to send for the apostle Peter, who at that time was staying in the city of Joppa, and that Peter was going to bring to him this message that was going to be a message of salvation, both for him and his entire household. We then see the scene change to the apostle Peter, who is on the rooftop in Joppa, and he is praying to the Lord, and as he prays, God sends him this vision. And in this vision, he sees something like a sheet that is lowered down from the four corners of heaven. That reminds us, it's, it's a symbol of that this sheet was big enough to encompass, to wrap the entire earth. And as Peter examines this sheet, he sees that there are all kinds of unclean and unkosher animals inside of it. And he hears the voice of God. The voice of God says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter denies the Lord and says, no, nothing unclean has ever entered into my mouth. And this vision is repeated three different times. After the vision is over, uh, Cornelius's uh, brigade arrives at the home in which Peter was staying and tells him uh, that Cornelius wants to uh, talk with him. And again, we see the Holy Spirit speak to the Apostle Peter and says, go to this Gentile's house and go in a spirit that will not discriminate, that does not discriminate. It lines up perfectly with this vision that Peter just has. And this time, Peter obeys the Lord and he follows along with about six other men. They go to the home of Cornelius and there Peter preaches the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and all of his family. They begin to speak in tongues and Peter recognizes that this is a work of God and he commands uh, all of these people to be baptized. And that brings us to our text this morning. Peter is now back in Jerusalem, which is kind of headquarters for the church at that time. And he is giving, giving an account uh, to uh, this group known as the Circumcision Party back in Jerusalem of all that has just taken place. 
And we read this story again that is a repeat of what it is that we have seen in Acts chapter 10. And so let's read Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18 together this morning. And if you are able, I would invite you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's holy and inspired and inerrant word this morning. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent, uh, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Then they heard these things and they fell silent. And they glorified God. Then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> Those of you guys who know me, most of you have heard me preach before. You know that uh, as common practice, I kind of like to start at the beginning of a text and piece my way through it so that we can see how the argument unfolds and how, uh, how all the details in the text fit together. And uh, Sometimes it's a little bit better to uh, take a step back and to take a little bit different approach. And that's what I want to do this morning with this text. You see, this is a narrative. This is a story. And the, the thing that I love about stories, the thing that makes stories so effective of communicating truth is they can take truths that if you were just to write them out kind of didactically, you know, verse by verse, it would take pages and pages and pages uh, to contain all of the truth. But stories can take all that truth and can compact it all down into one nice a dense package, right? And so this morning, I don't want to so much walk through this text step by step, though I think we need to take a minute and kind of review the pieces of the text. Rather, the way that we want to approach the text this morning is kind of to remove the layers of the text, kind of like an onion, 
right? To, to see what it is. What is this central core truth that, uh, that the Holy Spirit through uh, Luke is writing to us? So that, that's kind of how uh, the sermon is going to work this morning. It, it may not follow neatly. As you'll notice when the points come up, there's not verses attached to each point because each point flows, I think, all throughout the story. Okay? But before we get there, let's take a second to, to look at what has just happened. Basically, there are three sections of this story. The first section uh, is in verses 1 through 2, or really 1 through 3. And in this section, Peter is being challenged by the circumcision party who are upset with Peter because he has broken the Mosaic law. He's broken the Mosaic law by going and fellowshipping with these uncircumcised Gentile men. And not only has he fellowshiped with them, but he has sat at the table and eaten with them as well. We'll see in just a little bit. It's it's not so much that they're upset that these Gentiles have received uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're upset because the law has been broken. And they're upset because Peter has taken part in it. Then the bulk of the text, uh, starting in verse 4 and really going down through verse 17, Peter responds to these attacks that the circumcision party is making against him by taking a step back and not defending himself, but he takes a step back and he retells the story of what it is that the Lord has just accomplished. He, He tells the story of what it is that the Lord has just done. See, he takes the attention off of himself and and he points it straight to Christ. And that's how he he answers. Because these people don't have a a problem just with the Apostle Peter. These people have a problem with Jesus himself. We're going to see how that plays out in just a moment. Thirdly, we see the response of the circumcision, circumcision party in verse 18. They seemingly have a change of heart. Their their attitude moves uh, from one of criticism and accusation to silence and praise. The Lord shuts their arguments, He shuts their mouths, and He takes away this, this spirit of criticism, and He grants them, He gives them a spirit of praise. And it's kind of the flow of the text. Uh, and, and that's hopefully what we will see, how this story plays out. That, that it will affect us. Because brothers and sisters, we are the church that the Lord uh, has saved. We are the church that God has called out. We, you and I, where do we fit into this story? We're Cornelius. And we're his household. You see, we talk about taking the gospel to the nations. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. We talk about taking the gospel to the nations. And what immediately pops into our mind as kind of American Christians uh, is that, you know, taking the gospel to the nations means uh, that we go to Africa or South America or Korea or to China or to Europe or wherever. But brothers and sisters, what I want us to realize this morning is that you and me, we're the nations. We're the nations. Acts chapter one, verse five says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where all this started. Then Judea. We don't live in Judea. In Samaria, we don't live in Samaria. To the uttermost ends of the earth. And brothers and sisters, I want you to see that that's you and me. We're the uttermost ends of the earth. In this story, where we find ourselves is we find ourselves, God, 
unfolding this mysterious plan that he began all the way back in the book of Genesis before time even began to send a redeemer for you and for me. That's where we find ourselves in the story this morning. So let's, let's take a look at that. Point one in your notes there. <clears throat> Point one in your notes. The first thing I want to see, kind of the, the first level of this story, is that God has revealed his plan to us. God has revealed his plan to us. Now at this point in this narrative, starting in chapter 10, verse 1, and ending here in eleven eighteen, Luke, the author of Acts, has told the story of Cornelius' vision here four times. In a chapter and a half, he's told the same story four times. As you may know, repetition in the Scripture means that the writer is trying to emphasize something important that's taking place. There are only two events in the book of Acts that receive this type of attention. One, this story right here, the vision of Cornelius. Two, the conversion of the Apostle Saul or the Apostle Paul. Two times. One, the first Gentile convert. And two, the apostle who was going to be sent by Christ to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? To take the gospel to the Gentiles. First Gentile convert, apostle to the, con- the, uh, to the Gentiles. Right? <clears throat> the, the, both of those stories are emphasized in Luke's writing to show us that something significant has taken place in the book of Acts. And what is it that has taken place? Well, the fullness of God's plan, the fullness of the mystery of God, beginning in the book of Genesis, has come to fruition, and it's finally and fully revealed in all of its detail. And that's a a glorious, glorious truth. The fullness of this mystery of God that salvation is to the people of God without regards to racial or ethnic distinction. That's you and that's me this morning, brothers and sisters. And so I think it's important to remember that in the broad scope of Scripture and God's revelation to us that His plan to redeem us from our sin is primarily progressive. it's, It's revealed piece by piece, little bit by little bit as the storyline of the Bible progresses. And so I want to take just a few minutes this morning and I want to, to, to rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis and point out some significant things of how God has piece by piece and little bit by little bit revealed what this plan is. Because if we don't understand what the plan of God was from the beginning, we will not rightly understand what it is that Luke thinks is so important that he emphasizes it time after time after time again in this chapter and a half. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to take I'm going to try to summarize the entire story of the Bible in about three minutes. So hold on. If you want these passages later, you can come up and get them to me. Just let this wash over you. Okay, <clears throat> Genesis one, God creates the heavens and the earth and the prize of his creation is is mankind made in his image. He commands them. He gives them a place in the garden, gives them dominion over the entire earth and gives them one command not to eat from the tree. And they disobey that command. And they enter in, uh, through their sin, enters in death and sin uh, that will be passed down from generation to generation. God says in Genesis 3.15, to the serpent uh, who tempted Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. She shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
God promises here that there is one that will come from the seed of woman to reverse the curse of the fall. Skipping forward to Genesis 9, uh, 8 through 17, uh, sin has spread uh, and, and God looks down on his creation and sees the extent of man's sin and he decides to, to wipe out all mankind by sending a flood. After the flood, God promises Noah, whom he redeemed from the waters, and all future generations that will come to earth after Noah, that he will not destroy all life on earth again because of sin. He set his bow in the clouds. And if you remember from several years ago when we were studying the book of Genesis, God is hanging up his bow. He is, he is putting away uh, his weapon of choice. And, and graciously, he's going to be patient with us, allowing for time for repentance of sin. He's not pointing the bow at us anymore. He's going to point it at his son on the cross. And he promises that he will not wipe out all of mankind by sending flood on the earth again. But as we know, he will deal with sin in due time. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, God chooses this pagan man, Abraham, calls him out of his homeland and, and gives him a land, commands him to go to the land that he will give to him and to his offspring. God promises Abraham three things, land, offspring that will form a great nation, and that through the offspring, singular, every nation on earth will be blessed. So we know that this blessing, this seed of the woman, is going to come from Abraham's line. Exodus 19, God has fulfilled that promise, and Israel is now a great nation. God has redeemed them from uh, the nation of Egypt. He has brought them through the waters and protected them and led them to the foot of Mount Sinai. He commissions them there in Exodus 19 to be a nation of priests, a holy nation that will bring joy and blessing to other nations. This is reminiscent of God's promise to Abraham that his offspring would be a blessing to the nations. However, it doesn't take very long for Israel to break this covenant, and we realize that this is not the end of the story. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God has raised up David to be the king over his people Israel, and David wants to build a house for God. God responds in 2 Samuel 7, No, you will not build me a house, but I will make you into a house. And he makes a covenant with David and promises that one of David's descendants, this, this one that is going to come from David's line, is going to sit on the throne forever. His kingdom will have no end. This son will be disciplined with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, yet God's steadfast love will never depart from him. So we know that this Redeemer is going to come through the line of David. Isaiah 53 this appointed king, this appointed Messiah will not only come as God's conquering king, but he is going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to receive punishment on behalf of his people. His people will be healed of their transgressions by the wounds of this suffering servant. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees this vision of, a, of one coming down like the son of man with the authority of God himself to strike down the beast which reminds us of the serpent in the garden. This son of man will be worshipped by people from every nation and language. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 40, God promises a new covenant that will come, that will fulfill the old covenant made at Sinai. The law will not be written on tablets of stone, but it will be written on the hearts of God's people. He, it will be an eternal covenant that will never pass 
away. And this brings us to the book of Acts. We've already seen how the resurrected Jesus has commanded his disciples to go into the nation and to make disciples. We've seen how the Holy Spirit is going to come in this gospel of Jesus, uh, who is the fulfillment of all those promises in the Old Testament, uh, is, is coming. And this gospel is going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that, that this one that will come to him will be a blessing to the nations. We have seen how God, the fullness of God's plan has not only been revealed, but now here this morning we've seen how it has been applied to the first Gentile converts, the house of Cornelius. And here is Peter standing in a type of a trial giving a defense of his actions to this group of a circumcision party, realizing that the fullness of God's plan has come and that the gospel is now going forth and God has kept his word from thousands of years before. And these men are upset with him because he ate a ham sandwich. Doesn't that seem petty? That ought to seem petty to us. But how did Peter know God's plan? How did Peter know that this was God's doing? How did he know that this was a work of God fulfilling that promise to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations? That's a great question, and we saw it here, right? God gives him this vision of these unclean animals that come down. God then confirms this vision uh, through Scripture, right? When, when, When Cornelius and his household are baptized in the Holy Spirit... He says, and I remembered the word of the Lord. He remembers the voice of Jesus and the voice of, the, of John the, the Baptist who says, uh, you will be baptized with water, but when Christ comes, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God confirms this vision with Scripture. God confirms His vision and this Scripture uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Surely this has been God's sovereign plan all along. Peter knows that. Yet here we learn a great lesson. Here's a good lesson for us to to take away from this text this morning. Whenever the gospel goes forward, it will be met with opposition. Whenever the gospel goes forward, it will be met with opposition. But brothers and sisters, we expect that. But look at the source of opposition. It's not the Pharisees. It's not Caesar. It's not Roman soldiers. It's people in the church. The opposition, the source of opposition here in Acts 11 are people who just a few chapters ago uh, received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and, and spoke in tongues. They're the ones that are standing in the way of the gospel going forward. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful. We need to be careful no matter how long you have been a Christian, no matter how long you have been a member of this church or any other church, you and I, in our sin, can still be a part of resisting the movement of the gospel going forward to the nations. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't treasure our traditions more than we treasure the truth in God's Word. Brothers and sisters, examine yourself humbly and make sure that you're not like this circumcision party standing in the way of God 
moving forward. Last week, Pastor Richard showed us that truth and traditions don't have to conflict. Uh, they don't have to be in conflict with one another. However, if we begin to treasure our tradition over truth, then we are in danger of the very thing that this circumcision party is doing. And that brings us to point two. We must align ourselves with God's plan. <clears throat> we must align ourselves with uh, this revelation of God's plan. Now, when I say we, I mean both we as a church and we as individuals. You see both of those things in the text here. Okay? We see uh, in, in this summary a course correction for both uh, the individual and for the church as well. Okay, let's look at the individual first. The Apostle Peter. The beginning of Acts chapter 10, verse 1, Peter was in the same boat as the circumcision party. A voice came down from heaven with this vision and said, Peter, rise, kill, eat. And Peter knew that this was the voice of the Lord. And what did Peter say? No. No. Nothing unclean has ever entered into my mouth. But then you notice, and we've already seen how the Lord works and moves and how, how the Spirit reveals to Peter that he's to go uh, and to go without discriminating against Cornelius because he was a Gentile. And then upon hearing the Gospel, the Spirit falls in the household and they're saved. And Peter's response in verse 17, look down at verse 17, what's Peter's response? His attitude when he was saying to God, no, I will not eat, I will not partake of anything unclean. And now look at verse 17 just a few verses later. Look at what he says. He says, if then God gave them the same gift that he gave to us in the beginning, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter realizes. Peter realizes that this is the work of God. And so there's this course correction in Peter's life. He aligns himself with the plan and with the will of God as revealed in the Scripture. This happens on the level of the church as well. At the first of this passage, we see the circumcision party almost in a riot, it seems, because of what has happened. Particularly, they're upset because of Peter's involvement. However, once the story of how the Holy Spirit has worked and how the Holy Spirit has moved, their attitude changes. It changes from criticism to praise. Look in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. The arguments and the criticisms stopped. Their mouths were closed, and when they opened again, they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance and life. So there's, there's a course correction on the church level as well. Brothers and sisters, we as a church need to make sure, we need to make sure that everything that we do as a church, from who it is that's a part of our church uh, to, to the ministries of this church, they should be, they need to be, they must be aligned with the plan of God as revealed in the Scripture. And if we do not do that, then we are in danger of running astray. The Scripture is our guide. God's revealed plan to us in this book is our guide. Sadly, this issue isn't over yet in the text. We're going to see here in a few weeks how this, uh, this, this uh, circumcision party rears its ugly head again. So much so that they're going to have to call a council together to figure out exactly what it is 
uh, that the church is going to do moving forward. And I won't spoil that. I'll let Pastor Richard uh, deal with that in a couple of weeks. But this raises the question for us today. How do we know God's plan for us today? How do we know what God's plan for us today is? Sometimes we think if we can only hear God's voice, right? Individually and as a church. If we could only hear God say it, then surely everything would be fine. Everything would be better, right? We want so desperately, uh, audibly, to hear the voice of God. We, we want to be in this position of Peter where God gives us this vision. Or we want to be like Gideon in the book of Judges where we lay out the fleece uh, and we say, God, if you want me to do this, then, then let the fleece be dry in the morning. Or we may sit in a room with a ceiling fan turned off and we say, God, if you want me to do this, just make the fan start turning. Or we want to hear God's voice. I think we as Christians, we do. We desperately want to hear from God. But brothers and sisters, here's the problem. Even if we did hear God's voice, even if God did audibly speak to you and to me today, what confidence ought we have that we would listen and obey? Look at what the Apostle Peter did. He heard the voice of the Lord say, Peter, rise, kill, eat. And what was his response? No! Brothers and sisters, do not overestimate your holiness. In your sin and in my sin, even if we heard an audible voice from the Lord, we should have no confidence that we would listen and obey. What makes us think that we would? Oh, Pastor Nick, how can you say that? Here's how I can say it. God has spoken. God has spoken. He's spoken through His prophets He's spoken through His apostles. He's spoken through these men as they've been led along by the Holy Spirit and He has been written down for you and for me. We will search high and low and we will desire and pray, God, let me just hear Your voice. Brothers and sisters, the voice of God is sitting in Your lap right now. And we close it and we put it on our bookshelf and we ignore it all week long, don't we? Sometimes. What, what gives us the confidence to think that we would listen to God if He spoke to us audibly? He's written it down in His Word for us. It's right here. Everything that you need for life and godliness is right in front of you. Think of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter stood on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw the risen Christ in, in, in His full glory. And he heard a voice from God a voice from God the Father say, this is my son, listen to him. And Peter says in 2 Peter 3, I was standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw the face of the Lord shine in all of his glory. I heard God speak from heaven with a booming voice like thunder saying, this is my son. And what's the very next thing out of the Apostle Peter's mouth? But I have something that's more sure than that. I have something that's more sure than this revelation from God that was audible and visible. I have the prophetic word that has been written down by men as they were carried along by the Spirit. Peter himself put more confidence in the Bible than he put in his own experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And brothers and sisters, we read that story and we think, 
How I long, how I long to be on the Mount of Transfiguration to see Christ in that way. Brothers and sisters, it's written down for you right here. We think if Jesus would just call us on our phone and tell us what to do, everything would be okay. He's written it down for you right here. Listen and obey. Have confidence in the Word of God. It's everything you need for life and godliness. Put your trust and your faith in that. In this Word. We spoke so desperately want to be in Peter's shoes in Acts 10 and 11. We want God to show us this sign or to give us a vision. But you and I are a great advantage this morning over Peter in Acts 11. Peter in Acts 11, the reason the Lord gave him visions and, and spoke to him in that way is because Peter didn't have the New Testament yet. <laughs> it was still being written. God was still moving along. But now the revelation of God is complete. And you and I have an advantage over Peter. We have an advantage uh, over Cornelius. We have an advantage over the, the Apostle Paul because the Lord has completed His revelation to us and we can consult it every single day. <clears throat> Second, so God reveals, reveals Himself to us in His Word. Secondly, God gives us brothers and sisters within the church to give us wise and godly counsel. That's another way that God reveals His plan to us. He gives us brothers and sisters in the church to give us wise and godly counsel. Now, we need to be careful to test this counsel against the truths in God's Word, but He gives us brothers and sisters. He gives us uh, older saints who have, who have walked ahead of us right in this journey with Christ, and he, he gives us them in the church so that when we're facing some type of trial or some type of tribulation, we can go to them and we can receive their wisdom. Most of you guys know I'm, I'm the youth pastor here. So I'm going to take just a second to talk to our students. Teenagers, you are not just a part of a youth group. If you think that, I have failed. You are not a part of a youth group. You are a part of a church. And the brothers and sisters that are much older than you, that are sitting around you this morning, they have something to say that you need to hear and you need to listen to. Don't shut them out. Go to them, seek their wisdom, and listen to what they have to say. Because God has given them to you as a gift to help you to discern what it is that the Lord wants you to do. All right? Now, for those of you who are older, who are wiser, right? I want to talk to you for a second. Those students don't bite too hard. <laughs> talk to them. They need you. It is not my job to pass the faith down to the next generation. I'm the student pastor of this church, and I'm telling you right now, it is not my job to pass the faith down to our students. That's your job. My job is to help facilitate it. Right? Open your mouths and talk. Tell them what the Lord has done. Show them the Scripture. They need to hear it from you. They need to hear it from more than just me. Don't be afraid of them. Talk. If they don't listen, come and find me. <laughs> I'll smack them in the head. <clears throat> I won't really. I'm just kidding. I will not smack anybody. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so God reveals himself uh, by giving us brothers and sisters who are wiser than us. Thirdly, lastly, God gives you the desires of your heart. He gives you the desires of your heart. Now these desires are deceitful above all else. 
So they have to be rigorously tested against the truths of the Scripture. But they're there for a reason. Right? God gives you the desires of your heart. God has revealed His plan to us in its fullness. We are given these means of grace to know and discern what the Lord has said. So often we treasure ourselves, we treasure our traditions over God's Word. Now I have nothing against tradition. If you sit down and talk with me for two seconds, you'll realize that I love tradition. Tradition is a part of our faith. It's a part of our faith. But the Scripture is our guiding light. The Scripture is the lamp unto our feet. And we as a church need to take seriously what the Bible says about our traditions here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. God forbid that we love ourselves and our tradition over the truth of God's Word. God forbid it. And that brings us to our last point this morning. Point number three. Our response is to acknowledge the Lord's leading. We are to acknowledge the Lord's leading. We see in the text this morning that Peter clearly explains the process of salvation uh, is led by an all-powerful and sovereign God. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. If you look there, notice who it is that gives Cornelius repentance. It says, they glorified the Lord God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Notice it's not God giving the Gentiles the possibility of repentance. He actually gives them repentance that leads to life. Salvation, brothers and sisters, is a gift from God. In its beginning and in its middle and in its end, it's a gift from God. Secondly, we would, do real, we would do well to remember that Cornelius was not some idol-worshiping pagan. He's not some idol-worshiping pagan. He's described as a man of prayer and a God-fearer. But even in Cornelius' life, even in the good things that the Scripture has to say about him, it wasn't enough for salvation. He needed God, a sovereign God, to grant him repentance to radically reorient his allegiance and devotion. He was a good person. He, he was a buddy to a lot of people. He, he was a good man, but he needed something more. He needed a righteousness that came from outside of himself, not from inside of himself. Thirdly, we need to realize that the gift of repentance that God gives is repentance unto life. It's not just feeling sorry for your sin. It's more than just repentance of a particular sin, though it involves those things. True biblical repentance is a rejection of everything that hinders the reception of salvation through faith in Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith says it this way, Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of the true sense of his sin and appreciation of the mercy of God in Christ, doth, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience in Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what we celebrate this morning as we come to the Lord's table. It's exactly what we're celebrating this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. God has given us new life in Christ. He has called us to himself and he has given us this grace of repentance and faith through the death, 
and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. And so I want to invite the ushers to come forward and we're going to respond to the sermon in the only way that I see that's appropriate. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So I want to call the deacons to come forward, uh, call the musicians to come forward, uh, and we are going to partake in this Lord's Supper. We're going to partake in this uh, celebration of what it is that God has done for us in Christ. If you're here with this morning uh, and, and you're not a member of this church, but, but you're a baptized believer of another church that believes this same gospel that you've heard this morning, uh, we want to welcome you to our table. And we want to partake in the Lord's Supper with you uh, as a symbol that we will all sit around the table of the Lord together one day in heaven and partake of this table together. So if you're a baptized believer uh, of another local church that believes the same gospel, we want to welcome you to take the elements with us uh, together this morning. But before we take the supper, let's go to God and let's ask uh, his blessings on the Lord's table this morning. Lord, we come to you this morning, we are thankful that you have given us this grace of repentance. That, Father, for those of us who have repented and put our faith in your Son, that there is there now no for condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Father, no more wrath for sin, no more fear of rejection or condemnation, but, Father, only acceptance and welcome around your table. Lord, I pray for those who are here who... who, who can't take of the Lord's table this morning, who have never repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ. Father, I pray that as these elements pass by, help them to remind, remind them that you broke your body and spilled your blood so that they might repent and believe. And Father, we pray that you would grant them this gift of faith and repentance this morning. Father, we pray these things in the name of your good and gracious and sovereign Son, Jesus. Amen.